probably did hate Mayo and we thought it was hate at the time because these guys are trying to take away our dreams The Football Pod live Thursday June 2nd in Castle Bar Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and get your tickets now OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Joseph Conroy is with us for this week's edition of Have You Seen? Joseph, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jerry and Alan. How you getting on? Yeah, very good. This week we're looking at Sir Alex Ferguson. Alex Ferguson, never give in. Never give in. Probably start with at the top here. Um, have you guys actually seen this? And on paper, what are your kind of interest levels in a feature length Amazon Prime, Alex Ferguson documentary. Uh, I have seen uh, the first hour of it, um, and it took me about a year of having Amazon to go, oh, I'll watch this. I probably will watch this. And then I got into it, and I was like, this is really good for what it is. Uh, there's, there's like an opening bit where I found out stuff that I didn't really know. I didn't know anything really about his time at Rangers and how horrific his takeaways from that period were and how formative they were and also I knew nothing about his relationship with the brother and why two of them basically travelled the world because his brother ends up as a chief scout and chief conciliary or certainly an important conciliary in the um, during the Man United period too so the bit where he fell out with his dad about football and then makes up with him because he scores the hat-trick is like okay this is uh, I, I begin to learn a lot about the man right here <laughs> Yeah, after about seven or eight months of not speaking to his dad, he scores a hat-trick against uh, Rangers. Um, and his dad comes up to him and goes, put it there, Had a boy. That's my boy. I knew you had it in you. And it's all fixed. But yeah, that is kind of a good starting off point into the weird sort of, the strange psychology of Alex Ferguson and the Fergusons. But um, yeah, like you said, I kind of approach this a bit, kind of not super enthusiastic about it. Like I only watched it this week. Again, haven't had it there available to me for a year, sitting on Amazon Prime, waiting for you to watch. But um, I don't know, it just kind of had never felt like the right moment. But um, then once I did sit down, there is great stuff in it, especially kind of like the kind of hook is this is his first major kind of documentation and comment on uh, his recovery from his brain hemorrhage. And you kind of get some of the some new detail on that. Like just one point where a doctor saying at some point, at one point, his survival chances were 80, 20. A 20% chance of survival so that's all really interesting and like you said the kind of formative years the Ranger stuff the Aberdeen stuff and uh, we kind of get this stark cut off at the treble and that's all done really well but also kind of I don't know the treble cut off left me feeling a bit unfulfilled which is maybe a little bit unfair like we're kind of this is very good for what it is we might talk a little bit about what it isn't and a bit of the context around it. Is there any possibility there's a second part coming where the juicy stuff gets released perhaps after his death? I don't know. Or is it like the type of thing that you can say in your 80s now? It's like, well, never really liked Glazers. Yeah, shouldn't it, shouldn't have fallen out with the Irish lads. Especially especially Roy. Of all, you know, I just, I really love Ireland, but I just seem to have a problem with, um, you know, the big personalities from there. That's why I found my relationship with Mick McCarthy was always pretty straightforward. <laughs> it's hard to know. Maybe there are meetings going on where it's like, all right, we've kind of done the formative years. We've done the wing, the treble. What's in part two, guys? Um, I'm not sure how enthusiastic they'd be. Well, actually, you're actually, in fairness, he's left like the Champions League and like 
God knows how many Premier Leagues on the cutting floor there. So I don't know, maybe there will be a part two. But if I was kind of pitching my fantasy Ferguson documentary, it would kind of follow an arc of Rocket Gibraltar uh, breaking up with Roy Keane, the Glazer takeover, life under the Glazers when he wins five titles, the Champions League, gets two Champions League finals, and then kind of the kind of whole question around succession planning and sort of the fall of the club after he leaves. Like, I think that'd be a pretty interesting documentary. The uh, the Rocket Gibraltar element of it is is always qu- quite um, a contradiction in itself because Ferguson has always said that the reason, one of the reasons why he's interested in horse racing is because it takes him away from football and that nobody bothers you. Everybody asks you who's going to win the half three rather than how are Manchester United going? Of course, if you were watching uh, Punchestown and RT a couple of weeks ago, uh, he got pulled aside for an interview and was like, how will uh, the new manager do at, at Manchester United? So um, the, it's possibly not always the case. But I wonder, I mean, did, did he did he kind of realise the, the irony of it all where later on his involvement in a horse essentially had a massive knock-on impact on the course of Manchester United or or so it seemed from the outside anyway that I guess the, the, the current predicament of Manchester United and the current hatred that a lot of United fans have for their owners can be traced back to Man- Alex Ferguson's involvement in, in a horse. It may, it may be too simplistic to put it like that but it definitely seems that there was a, a huge part to play. Yeah, because just kind of relitigated slightly He's involved with Rocket Gibraltar. He's getting a share of the prize money. When it comes to the... Just explain that, because for people who are kind of like, what, what, what are you talking about? Rocket Gibraltar is a horse. Yeah. And he seems to have had this... He had this agreement where he was getting part of the prize money. But then when it came to the... So the prize money was kind of a few million pounds well, yeah, when so, it came to the... Ro- so, yeah. Rocket Gibraltar is a horse, and it's, um, it's owned by Coolmore. And... Ferguson is mates with them. They go racing. They're friends. They they hang out. High achievers. I, I don't know at the very highest level of business and sport, it looked like this intoxicating mix of, you know, a Mount Rushmore style night out would be with uh, McManus, Magnier, Ferguson, and whoever else. Like maybe Ed O'Brien gets into that group, possibly, but he might not. Do you know the three lads are older? They're kind of similar vintage. They have similar levels of respect for each other, and they're like, here we give you a horse. Uh, this one it should be good not great and then it turns out Rocket Gibraltar is astonishingly good like astonishingly good as a horse right but the deal is that we know publicly Ferguson's the owner of the horse and so if you own a horse you automatically feel like you have the breeding rights to the horse you, you said a very important thing there Joseph the prize money it was a share of the prize money that he was getting Ferguson thought that he was getting a share yeah. of the horse, not the prize money, not like a. So if if we if we for example were to own a horse as off the ball, we wouldn't get the breeding rights to the horse. We'd get a little bit of share of the prize money. We'd give it to charity. That would be how that would work, right? There was no sense that this was like a. You'll be the front for this. It'll be a marketing tool for Coolmore, and you'll give the money to charity. It's like yeah, this is a good, good good opportunity for us all to do a bit of business together. Rising tide lifts all boats to the point where and the, the breeding rights for some horses. Like Sadler's Wells, Sadler's Wells could have made two hundred and fifty million at stud over his life, or more. So you're talking about. Bear in mind, Ferguson wasn't the highest paid employee at Manchester United. His players were earning significantly more than him at this point. He was not a wealthy man by the standards of Jose Mourinho or the Atletico Madrid manager now or Pep Guardiola. He was not getting paid that level of money. He wasn't getting paid the same money as Eric Cantona. I don't think at at um, when Cantona was at the club. So the lads come, 
billionaires or very rich anyway and are like you can have it you can have this horse and he's like wow but then obviously there was some dispute about whether or not the breeding rights were going to be included so that's where we picked the story up yeah. Joe yeah and you're talking about the figure that's kind of always quoted is a potential 200 million pounds on the table and a potential half of that obviously is 100 million so that all gets nasty uh, there's a great quote here from uh, Keane's second book just um, given his sympathetic take on the whole controversy uh, this is him on Ferguson he was just a mascot for them walking around with, with the Rockford Vulture hey look at me how big I am I didn't even own the bloody thing that's kind of this kind of leads to this rift this work kind of just something we haven't pointed out here is the two Irish guys here own kind of between 25 and 30% of Manchester United so that's kind of where things get interesting and also, kind of say that the popular narrative is that the Rocky Gibraltar split creates a rift between the Irish uh, block and Man United, and they eventually sell off their shares to the Glazers. I was a bit like, is that an oversimplification? Where the Glazers kind of coming in the back door, they're already buying up shares anyway. But the more you look at it, the more that this argument either accelerated or caused or created the opportunity for the Glazers to get in. But, um, so during that rift, the Irish guys go off. They hire a firm to come in and kind of do some sort of forensic-style accounting uh, over United's numbers. And they come back to the United board. So this, this is a major shareholder coming back with a dossier with 99 questions that they want answered by the club. So this is kind of where we get the link into the documentary because this documentary is a Jason Ferguson production directed by Jason Ferguson. Um, who is the son of Alex Ferguson, who at that time had kind of left behind a career in TV production to become a football agent. So you've got him working as an agent. His dad's the manager of Man United. Major shareholders coming in with these 99 questions about the club's transfer dealings. I'm just going to refer here to a piece by Matt Sater in The Athletic, just on some of the details of those 99 questions. So they centred on whether... Uh, allegations that Ferguson had let his son become the club's in-fact agent and United had been overpaying for players. Uh, the board then promised an internal review. The results of that review were never published and Jason Ferguson wasn't found guilty of any wrongdoing. What did happen was the BBC picked up the story, put out this kind of this kind of eccentric documentary called Ferguson and Sons, where it's kind of like dispatches, but made for Generation X with um, kind of Stone Roses style beats playing under everything. And like while they're regaling stories about Jason Ferguson, they have an actor with like a massive foam head and like a Nokia up to his ear walking around outside Manchester United, mimicking, making all these deals. Um, so that's actually what leads to the seven years between Ferguson and the BBC. After that documentary, Ferguson speaks to BBC for almost eight years. Uh, but the eventual fallout of that was right before that documentary aired, United come out and say, they never published the full details report, but they said that they were, would not be doing future dealings with Jason uh, Ferguson, and that firm was wound down. Um, United did actually deal with him again down the line, because after Ferguson retired, Jason Ferguson, his director-producer, also becomes his agent and kind of works on deals between him and the club. So just kind of when you're watching a documentary like this, which which we're saying is great for what it is, it's also kind of great for what it isn't as well when you look at the full context of sort of who's crafting this and who's putting it together and 
even there was an interesting interview with Jason where he was saying kind of on the first day of filming, he was ready to sort of map things out and say, all right, dad, we're doing this, this, this. Uh, he turns on the camera and he says, Alex just starts speaking for 20 minutes straight, uninterrupted monologue on his childhood. So there's a lot of interesting power dynamics going on here. And also I think the documentary is actually more interesting when you take into account who's telling the story and how the story is being told. This is like a, a mini succession, isn't it? Or like who who actually made this documentary? You know, who is who is the the the, the person with the power when the, it looks like the the children are making this documentary? Actually, it's the the elder statesman of the family, really, who's calling the shots. And I mean, it's, it's not very surprising. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like he's got to be happy with the end product. He's absolutely got to be happy with the end product. And like, look, it's it's very it's very difficult to do full justice to to Ferguson like what a titanic character and what a massively flawed character and what a genius at the same time so how do you how do you like this is his side this is his this is his last dance it is well it, it, yeah except it's it's, it's too short do you know yeah. like I, I think if he'd gone full last dance it would have been amazing because they could have had Keane they could have just used the clips of Keane at the Cadbury's Roadshow in the Borgosh saying stuff and they could have shown him that and he could have been nah it's just bollocks nah that would have been amazing and it, like I think they did miss a trick with that stuff definitely and I think they missed a trick with the Rocket Gibraltar stuff as well because like he's he's talked about oh that did not distract me at all um, just just to, to put a little bit of context on Rocket Gibraltar right I, I'm, I'm on his page on the Coolmore Studs um, he's only it's only five grand to get a cover now. It should be 50, 100, maybe 250 if he was an absolute superstar stallion. But a dual Group 1 winning juvenile and then five-time Group 1 winning three-year-old resulting in him becoming the first horse ever to win seven consecutive Group 1s in the Northern Hemisphere, breaking Mill Reef's 30-year-old record. So when that happened, when that happened, the excitement levels about what this horse's kids were going to be able to do was off the charts. So the battle was for a huge amount of life-changing, empire-building cash. And, um, yeah. Naturally, things get a bit poisonous around that, as, as you'd expect them to. And um, like, I wonder, did we ever get a sense of what the 99 questions were? Did they get any answers to them? Are they published anywhere? They, the, the United Board said that they, they investigated. They weren't going to answer... And then very quickly afterwards, the Glazers came in and that all that all disappeared. Yeah, okay. Now, like, this is only part one of Ferguson's career where there was some talk around the time of him retiring. Yeah. You know, like, like, and then he comes back and wins, as you've said, five Premier League titles and a Champions League. Like, that force of power, when he wasn't distracted anymore, you know, reaches two other Champions League finals, as Joseph said. Like, the horse is this massive hinge point in, in the whole narrative. And then he has to go again and he's like, oh, I'm going to prove everybody right. And manages to work with the Glazers. Like, it's mad. The, the success level is, is off the charts. And I think the documentary does a reasonable job of, like, we didn't talk about the Aberdeen stuff where they're training in car parks and they're training in public parks and, like, um, that team beats Real Madrid. You know, it's not nothing. They beat Real Madrid in a cup final. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And maybe just to give a taste of... Um kind of the type of thing we do get. There was We had two clips lined up here. I'm starting to go to the second one, which is him speaking. This is just after Aberdeen have won the Cup Winners' Cup beating Real Madrid and they've gone and beaten Majors 1-0 in kind of a drab, unconvincing Scottish Cup final. And then 
here's an example of the great archive that you do get in this piece, which is great for what it is. Mike Ferguson, many congratulations winning the Scottish Cup for the second year, but it was close. The luckiest team in the world. What a disgrace of performance. Were you surprised by the way that Rangers Norman McLeish won a cup for Aberdeen. Norman McLeish played Rangers themselves. What a disgrace of performance. The Amoki and winning cups doesn't matter. Their standards have been set long ago and they're not going to accept that from any Aberdeen team. There's no way to be to any glory from that. Can you give a reason for the disappointing performance then? Ah, ah, couldn't you? If you could open up their minds, you'd be able to find out. I can't understand why I did it. The only thing I can think of is that I wanted this to be the moment when we we set ourselves as the best team Scotland ever had. In all honesty, was it about being the best team in Scotland or was it about hammering Rangers? I think it was probably being Rangers. And this was my moment to say, right, you're going to get it. I wanted to put the knife in them. I mean, I don't think any of us are too, too surprised to say here that revenge is a very important driving factor in his career. And, it, like, and you know, there's a nastiness and a ruthlessness that comes with that that turns him into the great football manager that he is. But that, that is, you know, that's a, a troublesome character trait. Yeah, it's like it's one as well that kind of like puts sort of reconciliation beyond the bounds of possibility. You you find it, it's it's kind of pointless, isn't it? Like, you, you, why would you reconcile with somebody when that's not the whole point of your existence? Is not to be friends with them. It's to use them as part of your success. And and it's a transaction. You you paid. They he paid Keane. Keane took the money. Keane took the glory. And he used Ferguson to win trophies as well and build his reputation. Like it's totally transactional, I think. And let's not also forget that Ferguson, I'm sure, feels that it paid off in the end. He won. Yeah. The the, the, the sort of chip in his shoulder that, that he would have had, and let's not forget Roy Keane absolutely had it as well. And Keane, well, that Keane precedes, would say it was worth it too. Yeah, that precedes, as as Joe mentioned, a, a huge wave of success for Manchester United that came post Roy Keane. That that sparked possibly Alex Ferguson's greatest Manchester United team. And uh, I, I think that every decision he's made is he probably feels is, is, is vindicated. Yeah, and you're looking at things being transactional there. What's really interesting is you see in the documentary him kind of bringing the club back to the top table, winning that first league title. But with the treble and everything else, he's kind of built that empire that then has been sold off to the Glazers. Like there's another, like that's kind of what I find frustrating is I think kind of there's that sort of heart of darkness and that sort of like kind of, that, that that kind of just metal underneath that you kind of want to see that you don't really see here. Like, I'd find Roy Keane speaking about Alex Ferguson at the roadshow back and forth, gosh, a lot more captivating than what you're getting here. And even little moments like this, we've got another clip here. This is 2013, so a good bit down the road from the initial Rockets Gibraltar controversy you're speaking about there. But he's talking to Jon Snow uh, for Channel 4, and he brings up He's kind of, he's on this sort of like, oh yeah, I'm here chatting to Jon Snow. Um, politics, oh yeah, I'd be, I'd be left of labour. Um, then John kind of has him kind of lulled into this nice flow. Then he starts kind of, he starts bringing up um, a few topics that Ferguson's a bit less comfortable with. But um, I, we'll just play you this. This is him bringing up 
the BBC documentary that we mentioned before. I don't hold grudges. Eventually, they always come back in. Well, that's true, but you held a very long grudge with the BBC because they 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 talked about your son, and there was something to talk about with your son. Yeah, I mean, right. he was no. he was somewhere in the furniture of the agencies that were dealing with the club, and that probably wasn't a good idea. No, he was an agent for about a year and a half, and give up. That's it. But that's the bit the BBC concentrated on. They concentrated, and if you if you actually watch it, was a pure pure documentary of paper bags and all that on. I mean, it was, it was horrible. So, But you chucked them out for seven years? Yeah. Well, they, they never tried to... They never apologised. Is that your problem? But it's another aspect of control, isn't it? Yeah, but the, the, the important thing is you have to have some sort of strength of principle about dealing with that. I didn't enjoy it. I don't think it was correct. It wasn't accurate. And it wasn't honest. And that's in a way why you like the Glazers, because they've left you with control. They don't really control the club, you do. But they're supportive. That's the important thing. I think that you always appreciate people who support you. And they've been very good. And they're, they're very... Um, everything they've asked for, they've delivered. Yeah, so he, he was happy to work with the Glazers. And, like, look, he, he made the Glazers thing work. Mm. Well, yeah, like he did. I mean, the, the trophies speak for themselves. It, it, I'm always fascinated by people who kind of are worried to admit that they do hold grudges, uh, even though it's like patently obvious to everyone. <laughs> it's like, oh, I didn't hold a grudge against BBC. <laughs> like, I mean, there was absolutely no, like... I, I, yeah, they, um, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. There's, there's a great follow-up on that where they continue talking about the Glazers and it's like, um, you just tell me that you're uh, a socialist and left of labour um but you've also said that, um, like, I can't really use a phrase, it's, it's not okay with capitalists, but essentially that, that the Glazers are like hyper capitalists. How do you marry them off? And he's kind of like, oh, you know, that's, um, that's business. And he's like, yeah, and these loans against the club, he's like, ah, people talk about the loans. That's, that's business. People, people, people got to understand this. So yeah, this is kind of like, I think it's, it's a bit incredible just watching the piece. I think it's definitely worth kind of reading up a bit on the whole kind of, Jason Ferguson dynamic. Even we've we've spoken about Roy Keane there. That kind of twenty five minute crescendo of him sort of speaking about Man United to us at the Borgo Henry Theatre and why he wouldn't apologise to Alex Ferguson. Um, that ends with him talking about kind of nepotism and and sort of all the all, all these kind of involvements. So they're, they're obviously it's obviously a theme. Like it's it's, it's what Keane went to there at his most kind of bane putting out of his end out of his head. Yeah, uh, angry at the, at the end of that segment, like so. I don't know. I think like one, the documentary is good for what it is. Two, I'd recommend a bit of um, googling around Jason Ferguson afterwards. Cool. All right. Good stuff, Joseph. Thanks, William. Cheers. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 